0: I want to begin today as I usually do, which is asking you a question, which is if you knew that you could not fail, what would you try to do? I mean, if you knew that failure absolutely positively was not an option, you weren't going to fail, It just wasn't going to happen, wasn't in the realm of possibilities, what would you do today or this week or this month? What would you um, do? Now, I know that you've all thought about this at some point, or they might not have used the words I just used, but you thought, man, wouldn't it be cool if you have a dream what if and i'm not talking about playing the lottery or robbing a bank you're like oh it was if i couldn't get arrested i would totally rob No, no 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 stay with me here on on a serious note in your mind, what's that thing that you would do that you're just kind of maybe just a little bit scared of doing? Because you might fail. You might fail big. It might be a public failure, and that's those are the worst, right? Now, of course, this is a hypothetical question because uh, failure is always an option. As a matter of fact, in some of the things that you're doing, failure isn't just an option. It's a probability, right? You're like, no, it's not that I might not fail. It's that I probably will fail. And so I want to acknowledge that, yeah, absolutely. I get that that happens all the time. And so what happens is, is over time, you're a kid and you want to grow up to be a rock star, or a pro athlete. And then maybe around high school or college, young adult age, you realize that that's not going to happen. So you go to the next thing. You're like, well, maybe I can be a doctor or a lawyer. That's what mom and dad want me to be. And then, you know, you you go to community college and you're like, well, school's obviously not for me or whatever your story is. And you're like, well, maybe I'll just, I'll, I'll find something, I really like doing. And then you're kind of like maybe switch jobs a lot. And and eventually what happens is is you fail, 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 Or, or maybe just things that feel like failure that aren't failure, but things that feel like failure to you. And what happens over time is you build this defense mechanism where then when new opportunities do show themselves, you do have opportunities, when they do show themselves, you say, I could never do that. I could never do that just because I've I've failed so much in the past. Anytime I try to do that thing, it just never works out for me. So I'm I'm not even going to try. Um, we say things like, oh, it'll never happen when it comes to the promotions or races at work. I would really like that. But you know what? Good things just don't happen to me. That's just not the way my life shakes out. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It might be uh, it's too risky. Like why risk it? Why risk something for a dream I have tomorrow when I can settle for what I have today? And even though you probably don't, again, use those words or think about it in context like that, but that is kind of what we do. We grow up, we fail, we develop defense mechanisms for failing, we come up with excuses or reasons on why we can't do something, and then we start to settle in, and we just, and then that's what happens, and you start going through life, and it's, it starts off as weeks, and it starts off as months, and it's years, and then you're like, what the heck happened? Like, why did I get here? And I say all of that on purpose because (laughs) we're doing a new series uh, called Profiles in Courage. I want to talk to us about being strong and courageous. I want to talk to us about being brave. And part of being brave and part of being strong and courageous is not being afraid of failure. So over the next four weeks, we're going to study about a half a dozen different people, men and women, out of the Old Testament. And we're going to see that they, just like you and me, they had these odds. They faced the situations, circumstances in which they could have risked something, or they could have settled. And in some cases, they had failed before, and they could have just not tried again. And in other cases, it was absolutely impossible, but because of God, they were able to push through and persevere. And so um, I'm excited to start this new series, and I'm glad that you're all with us here on week one. And we're going to begin the series by talking about two men out of the Old Testament, and that's Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. And if you want to follow along, we're going to start in numbers now. You can use the Blue Bibles or your Bible app. That is way okay. Now, I want to say, we usually study a lot out of the New Testament at Madison Church. And so when we're talking out of the Old Testament primarily, we read a lot more because there's just a lot more details. Whereas Ephesians is like a six-page letter with six chapters, uh, Numbers has... Dozens of chapters, lots of words, way more detail. And so we're kind of, you're here with us every week. You're you're going to notice that we're shifting gears a little bit in how we present the material. And so we're going to Numbers 13 first, okay, which is to indicate to you, in a little bit, we're going to go somewhere else. Um, but now while you're going to Numbers 13, which is at the beginning of your Bible, uh, just a couple of things real quick, because we're jumping in the middle of the story. So we got to understand the context. We're jumping in, and the Israelites are between places. Okay, They're between Egypt, where they were enslaved, and the Promised Land. And so that is where we're picking up this giant group of people. Now, it is a ton of people. It's not like a church. It's a city without geography. It's a city of people who are looking for their permanent place to reside, and so that's where we pick up the story today. Now, they're kind of wandering through the wilderness, and uh, they're going to what God has called... The promised land, which I know is a super creative name for a place, but it's the promised land. It's the land that God has promised them. And they're standing at the cusp of this land that God has promised them when we get to Numbers 13. And uh, Moses sends out a dozen guys to go out and kind of scout the land. There are people already occupying it. So they want to know like what's in the land first. Is it worth trying to come in and take? But second, if we do come in and take it, from a military standpoint, what are our odds like? Can we win this thing? And so they send a dozen spies in. Joshua and Caleb are two of them to check out the land. And they're gone for about a month. And when they come back, um, they have some really great things to say about the land. So starting in verse 27, here's what we read. Then they gave the report. We entered the land to which you sent us. And it's actually full of milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Now, We'll pause we're going to keep reading. But here's the thing. It's hard for you and me in 2019 to get real excited about a land with milk and honey and fruit. Because you can buy that at the quick trip now. So, I mean, it's like... We don't get it. But in an agricultural society where those things weren't a given, the fact that they had things that you could enjoy, okay, it wasn't just water and oats. It's not like that instant oatmeal that you pour in a bowl, microwave for a minute, and you're like, breakfast. No, they're like, they've got some honey you can put on it. You don't even have to use water. You can use milk. It can be nice and creamy. And they got like blueberries you can put in it. So you're talking like a real gourmet oatmeal here. And so people were getting really like pumped up that they were advancing in life. And they were, uh, again, they loved it. And they were like, yes. So, when God said this was the promised land, like this is what he was talking about, and he was excited about it. Um, but then the scouts kind of continued their report, okay? And the NIV writes it like this: says, But, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. Ooh, but is a dreaded word, isn't it? Like we hear the word but. And uh, everything kind of just goes out the window. So they're like, we have all this really good food, and it's beautiful land, uh, but there are these really big soldiers there. Uh, they look like they can fight really well, and so uh, you kind of get the impression that it's like, it's great, but it's not going to work out. Now, you all know every single day how this goes, because we can say, Judd, you've just got the promotion, but... Wait, what were we talking about? Like all of a sudden it's like something hard happened. It was like you just free I got the promotion. But what 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 but? It's like, Mike, we're gonna give you the raise you asked for. But yikes you get a phone call, like me calling Megan. Hey Megan, the kids are fine now, but <laughs> she's like, it doesn't matter anything you said before that. It's like an emergency response. It's just all you hear is the but and what's going forward. And it's never good. It's never ever, Mike. You got the raise, but we're going to give you more than you asked for. (laughs) It's never judge. You got the promotion, but we're actually going to make you the CEO. I mean, it's never good. It's always bad, right? And so it kind of makes us a little sick. And so when we read about this in the Old Testament, a text thousands of years old, every single person in the room can relate to this text where it's like, this is great, but, and all of a sudden it's this human reaction where we're like, oh, yeah, it's not going to be easy, And so we get to that point, and uh, here's the thing. To be fair to these people, they were facing real giants, real threats to their lives. Not just their lives, their families' lives, and not just their families, but their kids and their nieces and their nephews. And so I'm not trying to make light of their situation like, oh, can you believe that they just weren't courageous and strong and didn't just trust in God? No, because every day I face giants, and every day you face giants, and even though you might love God, have faith in God, God has done great things in your life, I know that every day when we face giants, sometimes we don't trust God. And sometimes we don't step out. We kind of hesitate. And that's what these people are doing, where it's like they've seen God do some really great things, but then they're told, oh, there's an obstacle. And they're like, oh, gee, I don't uh, I I don't really know. Where do we go with this? And and that's the point, is that in life, you're gonna face giants. And I don't mean that to be discouraging, but it is meant to be real. You're going to face giants in life. Life is going to be hard. It doesn't necessarily mean you're doing something wrong. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that God doesn't like you. Sometimes God has something really great planned for you right over there. You just got to get over or around the giant, the obstacle, the real life stuff that's in the way. And so um, sometimes, but brings about it with a crisis of courage, as in there is no courage. And that was the crisis that this community had. Big opportunity, but they were all had no courage. They were afraid of what was going to happen. Now, all but two of them, Joshua and Caleb, right? So we can read in verse 30, it says, Caleb calmed the people before Moses. And he says, we must go up and take possession of it because we are more than able to do it. And I can relate to Caleb because I'm like, yeah, like you walk into the meeting room and you're like, we can do it. And and it's gonna be everyone just calm down, stop talking, stop complaining, like just listen to me. And then everyone gets quiet and listen. They're like, he's like, we can do it. That's the speech. Like, we're supposed to now just get fired up and take on the giants now, Caleb? Um, we keep reading. verse. That's not what happens. In verse 31 we read, but the men who went up with him said, we can't go up against those people because they're stronger than we are. So then the men, they started a rumor about the land that they had explored, telling the Israelites, the land we crossed over to explore is a land that devours its residents. They are cannibals. Understand, that's the rumor that they are spreading. We don't want to go there. They're bad people. All the people we saw in it are huge men. They're giants. They're giants, and they eat people. So Caleb says, we can do it, guys. And then you have a couple people object and say, yeah, well, Caleb isn't telling you. There's a couple details he's looking over, and that's that these giants eat us. And so now people are freaking out. I mean, the entire community raised their voice, and the people cried all night. I mean, can you imagine the entire city of Madison just crying all night about something? I, can't, you know, I mean, it says that they cried all night. All, all the Israelites criticized Moses and Aaron, and the entire community said to them, if only we had died in Egypt, or if only we had died in this desert. Because if you think about it now, you're talking about risk assessment. (laughs) You've had, okay, you had a night to cry about it. You've slept on it. Now the next morning you think you gather your thoughts and you can go back to the meeting and maybe pave a new way forward. And that's not the case. They say, you know what would have been better? Dying old as a slave in Egypt. That would have been sweet. You know what would have been sweet? Dying of starvation in this desert. You know what's not great? Great going over there, having a giant kill me and then eat me. That's the least thing that I want to happen. And so that's what they do. They come back. They're like, no, you know, we've really been processing this information and this plan sucks. And as a matter of fact, they're so unhappy that they're like, we got to get rid of Moses and Aaron. We got to get us some new leaders. They wanted a democracy right then and there. Moses, you're out. We're impeaching you. We're going to vote for someone new. We're going to vote for whoever says that they're going to take us back to Egypt and return us as slaves. I mean, that's the plan that they're doing. And so now, um, you know, spoiler alert here, okay? Joshua and Caleb don't buy into this. As a matter of fact, they're the only two people who don't buy into this. They don't don't come down to fear. They're not afraid. They don't succumb to that. I, I, I trust that they probably were scared, like any other human would have been about going into a new place and facing an enemy, Uh, all of the things that you and I would feel in that situation. But they weren't like the Israelites, the rest of them, who were panicking. Now, here's the thing. We're going to go over to Joshua, which is just a few books to the right of your Bible. So you can turn to Joshua. And while you're going to Joshua, I'll catch you up. Forty years have passed, and they are still in the in-between place. They're not in Egypt, and they're not in the Promised Land. And everybody except two of the original adults have died. None of them saw the Promised Land. None of them made it. They got their wish. They died in the desert. But two people remain, Joshua and Caleb. And it's at this point that Joshua is appointed the leader of Israel. And I want to read right there in... um, chapter 1 and and this is where i want to bring it home to this group today is what can we learn from joshua about being strong and courageous in our everyday situations we read in joshua 1:6 god tells him be strong and courageous there're still giants in the land i get that you're going to go to war people are going to die that's going to happen Be strong and courageous. But God doesn't just say, be strong and courageous because I said so. If you read ahead in verse 6, you know that's not what he says. He says, be strong and courageous because, God gives him a reason, because you are the one who will help this people take possession of the land which I pledged to give their ancestors. The first thing that we can do, I don't know what you're dealing with at work, home, family, somewhere else right here. But the first thing that we need to learn when it comes to being strong and courageous, God's giving us advice. And his first advice is focus on my promise. What has God promised to you? What has God promised me? Sometimes we can open up the Bible and we can read about God's promises that are just right there. These are promises for all humans of all times. And other times we know in our lives in which God has spoken to us and we're like, you know, God has promised me this. And when the going gets tough, when things get bad, when you're in the valleys of life, you're facing the giants, God says, the first thing you're going to do, if you want to be strong and courageous, I want you to focus on my promise. Remember 40 years ago, the Israelites didn't. I promised you the promised land. It's the promised land. And you guys doubted it. And you guys said, we're not going to go any further. And now that Joshua is in charge, God says, I still want you to have the promised land. I still intend to keep that promise. God isn't a liar. God keeps his promises. And so when he's talking to Joshua and he says, be strong and courageous and brave, the first thing he says is, focus on my promise. Remember, I told you that was going to happen. That wasn't something you made up. It wasn't something they made up. I know that it doesn't make sense in the boardroom. But this is what I promised you. And so we have to remember that whenever we're going through, whatever we're going through, remember God's promises. The second thing we need to do is we need to obey God's commands. We read in the next verse, verse 7, it says, Be very brave and strong as you carefully obey all of my instructions that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't deviate even a little bit from it, either to the right or left. Then you will have success wherever you go. The second thing that helps us find courage is, okay, we're going to remember God's promises. This is what he said. But he says, you also have to obey my commands. Now, a couple things. Okay? That doesn't mean you have to be perfect. I think that we can read a Bible verse like this and be like, oh, I've got to be perfect if I'm ever going to get God's blessing. And we know that that's not true, okay? You don't have to be perfect. But what does it mean then practically every day? Well, it's completely possible that God does want you to climb the corporate ladder, It's completely possible God wants you to have the raise. God wants you to get the promotion. It's completely possible God wants you to be the CEO of a company. I don't know what God wants you to do in every situation, but here's the thing. God doesn't want you to do anything illegal in the process of doing that. God doesn't want you to do anything unethical in the process of doing that. God doesn't want you to be like every other C-suite person, executive, that you've ever met. God wants you to be uniquely different. It might mean that God wants you to marry a rich and beautiful person. Some of you are like, hallelujah, I would love that. God might want that for you, but God does not want that for you if you are already married or in a relationship. Okay, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about obeying God's commands. We're not talking about the little screw-ups that you do every day and the, the wrong thoughts that you have. We're talking about these things when it's like obeying God's command. Oh, I would really just love to marry Taylor Swift and, and, and be a part of her money and all of that. And no, that's not the case. God says, well, if you're married, if you're in a relationship, you're already committed to that. And sometimes when it comes to relationships, this is just the bonus for you here this morning, sometimes when it comes to relationships, you're supposed to stick it out. I promise you that God probably wanted to break up with you at some point. He probably wanted to dump you. You probably weren't up to his standards. He probably looked around and said, there's somebody better looking, more powerful, more money, So loves me more, worships me more, whatever it might be, right? There's been a chance in your life that God has been like, yeah, I think I can do better. But he hasn't. And so sometimes in the way that we can express how God loves us is to express that with someone else who's not perfect. And we can keep loving them. Now, obviously, don't take this to an extreme. If you're in a relationship, you're watching online, listening, and you're in an abusive relationship, a physically abusive relationship, I'm not telling you stick it out. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm saying you're like, well, they kind of annoy me when it kind of aggravates me when. Well, I just don't feel the passion or the fire anymore. Okay, well, yeah, that's tough. But I you know, I'm I'm sure God doesn't always think you're all rosy and beautiful, too. So we're going to stick it out and work with it. It might be possible God wants you to become the next winner of America's Got Talent, but it's not possible that God wants you to be the next Kim Kardashian. Too far. Okay. I'm sure you get my point. God isn't going to help you to be courageous to do the things he doesn't want you to do. So if you're walking into a situation, you're like, I know God doesn't want me to do this. I know it's against what God wants, but I need strength and courage to do it. Don't look to God for that strength and courage because he's not going to give it to you. Finally, we need to trust in God's presence. And verse 8 says, I've commanded you to be brave and strong, haven't I? Don't be alarmed or terrified because the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. So we focus on God's promises, we obey his commands, and we have to remind ourselves that we are always in the presence of God. We come to church, and I think that sometimes we over-spiritualize church because we definitely expect to meet God here, and He is here. He is here, absolutely. Right now, this morning, God is with us, but He was also with you on your way in today, wherever you were coming from. He'll be with you when you go, and on Thursday night when you're binge-watching Netflix, God will be there too. So maybe that'll affect what you're watching on Thursday night, knowing that God is in the room with you. But here's the thing. God is with you always. Now, here's I want to say that I don't think that that means you ever outgrow church. I don't think you ever outgrow being in community. I don't think you ever outgrow worshiping with other people. I don't think you ever outgrow praying with people. I don't think you ever outgrow helping people find their way back to God, which happens a lot on Sunday mornings. Okay, I don't think you ever outgrow those things, but I want to correct you that if you think this is the only place that you can experience God, you're wrong. Because when you get fired and you're lost— And the world is just spinning because you don't know what you're going to do now. And it was unexpected. When you're fired, God is with you in that moment. It certainly doesn't feel how it feels right now, right? But God is with you in that moment. When your relationship suddenly ends or when you lose a loved one to death and you're grieving, God is with you there as well. And it's not just the bad times. I think that sometimes in Christianity, we always focus on like, hey, when you're just going through the rough times in life and the tough times in life, like God is there. And then when things are good, we're just like, well, praise God. And we kind of move on. But God is with you in the good times too. When you do get that promotion, when you do get that raise, God is there with you too. Now, here's the thing. It's important that you find God in every situation of life. It's so important that you find God in every situation of life. Because if you only go to God When things are bad, he's like your cosmic therapist. Oh, well, man, this is a really rough week. Oh, I just lost my job. I just, whatever, whatever, whatever. And I'm only ever going to go to God when things are bad. Well, he's a therapist then. That's not a healthy relationship with your heavenly father who loves you and gives you good things. And at the same time, I know people who do the exact opposite. When things are going wrong, they don't ever go to God. They just kind of stick it out. just got to be tougher. And when things are good, they go to him. But if we only ever go to God when things are good, doesn't that kind of make him like a heavenly sugar daddy? I'm not trying to be weird, but that's what it is. We're like, oh, yeah, God is great. God blesses me. New house, new car. Blah, blah, blah. God is so good to me. Well, he's not your sugar daddy either, okay? So we need to look for God both in those good things when things do work out for us, but we also need to look for God when they don't work out. And we also need to look for God in just the boring stuff. I know it doesn't happen very often in our society, but when you're like sitting around, you're like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like God is in that moment too. And maybe being bored and maybe not being busy will open you up to experiencing more of God's presence than you're currently experiencing right now. Because in your life, you have your kids' voices, you have your spouse's voices, you have your boss's voice, you have all of these voices, and in the middle of all those voices, you have God's voice. So maybe the best thing that could happen to some of us is to not be busy or to cut something out of our calendar. Maybe the best thing that happened to us is, like, we're going to build in this hour, and we're going to call it bored time. And when we have bored time, we're essentially just turning off all of the other voices we're just saying, I just want to hear from God in this time. So we're going to remember God's promises. We're going to obey his commands. We're also going to trust in his presence no matter what we're going through. And I want to talk directly to you in the final couple minutes here, okay? Where do you need to be strong? And where do you need to be brave? And where do you need to be courageous? Perhaps it has to do with a choice that you need to make you know you have to make this choice. You've been praying about it for, who are we kidding, years. And uh, you know what you're supposed to do, but you just don't have the strength or the courage to make the choice. I want you to remember God's presence, obey his commands, remember his promises today, this week, this month. Make that hard choice, whatever it is you're going through. For some of you, the courage you need, I suspect for a lot of us, it's relational. It's relational. In relationships, Things don't always go according to plan. If you've been in a relationship for more than six hours, you know that that's true. Sometimes in a relationship, you disagree about who takes the trash out, who does the dishes, or I hate it when you do this, or I don't like it when you do this. Why do you do this, right? These are common things that are said in my marriage all the time. But perhaps things aren't going right, and things aren't going well, and what you're doing is you're just putting it off, you're just sweeping it under the rug, and just hopefully it'll just work out. And where God is calling you to be brave and strong and courageous is to speak the truth in love. I love you. I care for you. And when you do this, it doesn't feel like you love and care about me either, or two, or at all. Maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe it's the courage to ask for forgiveness. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. And you just kind of want to ignore it because it'd be too hard to ask for forgiveness. But maybe that's what you need to do. You need to ask for the strength to forgive or to ask for forgiveness. And the flip side of that is maybe you need to offer forgiveness. Maybe somebody hurt you really, really bad. I know. There are terrible people in the world, and they do terrible things. I get it. But withholding forgiveness from somebody is poisoning yourself. And that's not to say that it's easy to just offer him forgiveness then. I know you can say that, right? It's like, oh, it's like poisoning yourself. Oh, who would ever not forgive anybody? All of us at some point in our lives. But to say, God, I need the strength. I need the courage to begin to offer this person forgiveness. It might not happen today. It might not even happen this month. But if you begin to pray for it and seek God out, God, help me with that. Maybe the courage that you need is spiritual, you sense that God has been pursuing you for a while and maybe you've been at Madison Church your first day, it's your 100th day, and you feel like God has been pursuing you and wanting you to step up, but you just don't have the courage because you're still busy right now or you got this going on or that going on or what would you do, what on earth? And I would just encourage you to take the strength and the courage with God. And maybe that's just to start a relationship with God. Maybe that's to go public with baptism. Maybe that's to get in one of these small groups. Maybe it's to give money. Or maybe it's to... Volunteer, or maybe it's to invite someone. I don't know what it is, but I know that spiritually there's a lot of scary things out there. And so perhaps what we need to do is say, God, make me bold and give me the confidence to step out spiritually. As you face your next step, I want to encourage you, like God encouraged Joshua, be strong and courageous. Not just because God said so, but in those moments, focus on God's promise, obey God's commands. And trust in God's presence. And when we do that, the end of the story with Joshua and those guys, they get into the promised land. Other generations mess it up. And they lose it. And they get it back. And they lose it. And they get it back. But Joshua's leadership, Joshua's generation, because he was strong and courageous and because he believed in God's promises, commands, and presence, he took the promised land. I don't know what the promised land is for you today, this week, this month, this season of your life. But be strong and courageous because God is with you. You guys pray with me.